0: Good morning everyone. This morning, right before first hour, someone gave me a present for Christmas, and I thought, I need to share this with you since it's about the, it's the passage that I'm preaching on these four weeks. So those of you that like art, behold. But take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter nine, please. Isaiah nine. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's word. We're going to read this verse and the one after it, Isaiah nine: six and seven. And over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord God, we thank you that you are here and we thank you, Lord, that you are powerful. We thank you, Lord, that it is your zeal that accomplishes all that you want to have done We thank you, Lord, that you will work in our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah 9, 6 says, His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The most familiar titles for Jesus that people don't understand. Today we are focusing on the truth that Jesus is the mighty God that brings order out of chaos. And we all know the chaos that sin brings into our lives. We're also going to see something. I want you to see really the answer to a question. The answer to the question, how can we curb this tendency that we have to create chaos by relying upon our own resources. So we will see how God gives us the power to curb this tendency. I mean, think about the chaos that we see all around us. You look in the news, and you just look towards the Middle East, and you wonder, how can anyone make sense of this mess? You you look at your own life, and you say, how can anyone make, make any sense of the mess that's been created due to sin in my life? We say, how could anything good come out of it? Mankind thinks he's powerful. He's not. There's power plays and power grabs and power abuse. When we really are relatively powerless when you do the math. A lack of power on our own to do anything good and of lasting value. We are in need of power. Some of you might say today, you know, I am I'm just tired. I'm, I'm weak. I, I can't keep going because I'm just, I'm, I'm out of strength. We understand what it means. And we can do little without power. You're driving to church or you're driving to work and your car just stops. No power. A long distance runner runs out of gas at the, at the end of a, of a long race. I saw that a couple weeks ago several runners collapsing in the last 100 yards of a three-mile race or maybe the lights just go out in your house it's that feeling of helplessness you don't have power you don't know how to get the power i've experienced three by the way notable power outages in the last several months in my life they were all electrical in nature the first was when we were in washington dc we were Traveling cross country by car, and we were driving from Philadelphia to DC at night. And we came through Washington D.C. We went to a restaurant. We came out of the restaurant, and this storm develops. It was the type storm where I would say it was the, the the roughest storm I've ever been in. It was loud. It was crashing on top of the car. It was like someone pounding on the top of the car with with hail and with wind and with rain it was scary we're driving through you couldn't see very far in front of the car and all the lights are out everywhere we're looking all you can see is car lights we're driving and we couldn't even find a place to stay that night because every hotel was out of power we had to drive like three hours down the road to find a place the next day we're driving through the state of Virginia And long lines everywhere Gas stations, restaurants Because everyone was out of power Second power outage I experienced Was in Knoxville, Tennessee We were at my in-law's house And this huge storm came up And it knocked the power pole down next To the next door neighbor's house And it busted a transformer and three houses were out of power for three days we kept calling the the the, the the power company and they'd say we love you you hold tight we'll be there soon we were refugees in our own house we had no lights no hot water we were we were it was it was hot weather no air conditioning and then the third Situation Was just a couple days after Thanksgiving this year Traveling back from Central California we, we stayed at this hotel And it had a power outage No storm in sight Just a power outage And people in my family couldn't blow dry their hair They had no backup generator either Needless to say In all three instances We, le- we, locked, we lacked power We didn't have the power we needed I know you're laughing because I don't blow dry my hair. Of course, you can tell by looking at me. I don't blow dry my hair. It's too short. But there were people in my family that had trouble with that. But think about power outages in a spiritual sense. There's no other realm of life where we feel the heat more. (laughs) We're powerless on our own to do anything of lasting value. We're powerless on our own to do anything good we create chaos we need a mighty God last Sunday we addressed the idea that Jesus is the wonderful counselor who tells us not just what we want to hear but what we need to hear he is the all knowing wisdom of God who knows what is best now think about Israel why did they need a wonderful counselor they were confused they didn't know what to do just like us many times they lacked the wisdom. They lacked discernment. They thought they were right. They, like us, needed to consistently listen to what God says, seek God's wisdom, receive and hopefully, faithfully give godly counsel. Now, our focus today is on Jesus as the mighty God. Mighty God. And really, that's the outflow, if you think about it, the outflow of his role as wonderful counselor he doesn't just tell us what to do because he knows what we need to do but he gives us the power to do it he gives us the power he empowers us to do what he tells us to do now why did israel need a mighty god because they were powerless same reason why we need a mighty god they had a spiritual power outage so do we they were in chaos They needed to be rescued. They needed to be really delivered from themselves. They were headed for this inevitable crash landing. God kept telling them, you're not listening. This is what is going to happen. And they're they're literally spiraling down towards this crash landing. They're drowning in the sea of self-sufficiency. And they wouldn't listen. So they needed to be rescued. Israel was in this state of constant chaos. Judged not listening and, and over and over again God's warning them but nestled in the midst of these prophecies of coming judgment is a word from God regarding how he would act in grace for their good that's what Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is giving us Isaiah who's prophesying during this time of decline in Israel amongst this strong Assyrian rule they knew that they weren't powerful They were being warned of judgment. But God is giving them a glimpse of hope. Clouds are parting and they see this beautiful picture of grace in the midst of man's sin. And so Isaiah says to us, a child is born. A child will be born. It's it's pointing to Christ's humanity. and, And a son will be given, pointing to Christ's divinity. But isn't it interesting that we think about children being born and we don't think strong. When you think of a baby being born, you think of weak and helpless and dependent. But here, he's saying this son, this child, is going to have the whole government of the whole world resting on his shoulders. And his government is going to increase. It won't decrease. I mean, you put anything on a baby's shoulders and it's going to push it. You don't even want to do that, do you? You don't even want to think about that. But here, the Son will have the government of the world on His shoulders. His kingdom will keep increasing. This is powerful. This is God in the flesh. This is the the incarnation. God is going to send a Savior, He's going to have a kingdom and now that kingdom is invisible and only those who acknowledge his lordship are under his rule but one day there will be this universal kingdom where everything will be under Christ's rule and his name he will have this name and, and he's going to be known for this he's have an identity he will be recognized and, and people will realize and they will, they will see him in the character and totality of his being They will call him Wonderful Counselor, but they will also call him Mighty God, this Messiah to come. We're standing on the other side of the cross. We know his name is Jesus, and we know he is Mighty God. Let's look at that that, that phrase, Mighty God. Two words put together, Mighty and God. First, let's look at the word for God. The Hebrew word for God here is El. It's taken from a a Hebrew root that means strength. So you take the word God, and it means strong one. Literal translation of of the title El would be the strong one. But here to it is added a Hebrew adjective, mighty. It expresses mightiness and strength. It's the idea of a champion, of a hero, of a helper, of a valiant warrior. So if you put these two terms together And it expresses the idea of Him being the mighty, mighty God The idea is the omnipotence of Christ The deity of Christ The mighty, mighty God The preexistent one The creator, the sustainer The provider, the saver The forgiver, the sanctifier Jesus is mighty God Now we know we need a mighty God To get us out of the chaos that our sin literally multiplies we're in need think about israel they were the same way they were weak humans so are we they trusted in other weak humans so do we they even trusted in weak non-humans false gods they were idolatrous so are we they complained against god so do we they needed God and his wisdom and strength, but pride coming in almost like a, a, a fierce linebacker was keeping them from acknowledging their issues, their sin. Ditto for us. They trusted in themselves. Us too. They needed a mighty God, and so do we. What we need to see... What I want you to see is that we need a mighty God and that mighty God is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mighty, mighty one who brings order out of chaos. Sin brings chaos. We all know what that chaos looks like. We can write our little autobiography and and point out the many times in our lives that chaos has resulted from our sin. We can write out our our biography and, and realize how many times chaos has resulted from other people's sin affecting us. We know that we need a mighty God. And Jesus is being revealed as that mighty, mighty one who brings order out of chaos. And so all who claim that he is not God, they're idolaters. You can't be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and say he is not God. Anyone who says that he is not God is basically saying they and then they're saying they're a Christian, they're an idolater then. Because you to worship God alone. All who acknowledge his deity must align themselves with him by faith. Everybody who lives should recognize the signs that he is God. I mean, look here in Isaiah 9. Just look at the first 7 verses. Every verse points to the fact that, that the Messiah is God look at verse 1 there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun he did it he brought them into contempt in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations why? because the Savior would be residing he is doing these things he is bringing it about he is making it happen verse 2 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light they've seen the the light of God they have seen him and and it says here that he will he will shine the light will shine upon them those who who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them the light shined God is going to act for their good verse 3 you have multiplied the nation he is going to do this he is going to increase the joy they're going to rejoice because of it All these things that God is doing in his strength. Verse 4, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you've broken. God is going to break these human strengths. Verse 5, the boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned. God is going to do away with those things. They won't be needed anymore. And then a a child will be born, a son will be given. God will be acting in grace for the good of His people. And, And the government will be on His shoulder. The strength of the Messiah will be seen. And He will have a name. And that will be a very strong name. We know His name, Jesus. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Strong names for God alone. Verse 7 tells us that the government will increase. That the peace will increase. That the throne, the kingdom will increase. And that all of this will come about because God will do it. That the zeal of the Lord of hosts Will bring it about. Man will not do it. God will. You look elsewhere in Scripture, even in the context of the Messiah, and you see in Isaiah fourteen, excuse me, Isaiah seven fourteen, God saying, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. God is going to do this. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us." I love the the words of, of a song that says this Our God contracted in a span, incomprehensibly made man. That's the incarnation of Christ. That's God in human flesh, God incarnate. But you look at what he did. You look at what Jesus did. He rose the dead, he healed the lame and the blind, he commanded the elements. He commanded spirits. He received worship. He created the world. And look at what He does He saves. He forgives. He sanctifies. He transforms. He works in the lives of believers. This is because He is the mighty God. You look at church history. And you see the creeds and you see the confessions of faith that came about and they were all coming about because people denied the deity of Christ and denied the authority of scriptures. So they made statements pointing people like signs back to the word of God the Apostles' Creed, the Council of Chalcedon, the Council of Nicaea. You pick up any good systematic theology book and it's pointing you back to the truth in God's Word about Jesus, the mighty God. You look at Christian practice. What do Christians do? Christians believe in Jesus. Christians pray to Jesus. Christians trust in Jesus. Christians worship Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Either we're lunatics believing lies from a lunatic, or we are children of the Most High God and believing His truth. The truth is inescapable. So why do we find it so hard to make the Christian life work? Because we have the truth right before our very eyes, right in front of our noses. And what we do, quite simply, we pridefully and arrogantly forget about the truth and try to go in our own resources, and our own strength. We refuse the power that is his, therefore ours. And what can be done? Think about it. Jesus is all-powerful. Yes, he's the mighty God. And we should trust in him. Yes, that's what believers should do. But what do we know we do? We don't trust in Jesus, the mighty God. We have this tendency then to trust in our own resources and create chaos. So The question is, how do we curb that tendency? How do we get beyond that? I'll give you three observations three ideas how we can curb that tendency to create chaos because of our sin and rely on our own resources rather than God's and and these are all in God's strength you've got to do these in God's strength trusting in God's strength it's it's a mental exercise if you think about it you decide you're going to do this in God's strength you can curb the tendency to create chaos first of all by abandoning self-reliance Abandon the ship of self-reliance. Ignore that deceptive mirage that looks so good, but when you get there, it's fake. You fight the urge to binge on pride. You've got to purge that poison from your life. If you were eating poison all the time, you know it would mess you up, and you'd say, I've got to stop eating poison, right, if you don't die first. You've got to take the spiritual poison, the self-lies, knowing that the flesh is an ugly master. And say, I'm going to believe Jesus, the one true God. I'm going to hold on to the rock that never moves. I'm going to go to that shelter that's a storm, that, uh, that shelter in a storm. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 12. Paul speaks of weakness. We all know that we are weak. Paul had all these visions. Paul was, was saw things that no man had seen. He was seen Visions, like a prophet would see visions, and it was probably almost overwhelming. And it says in verse seven, Second Corinthians 12:7, "To keep me from being elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, so that he wouldn't glorify himself, so that he wouldn't think that there was something special about him that made him receive that." It says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated, too excited. He had to abandon any thought of self sufficiency. Verse 8, he says, I pleaded three times with the Lord about this that it should leave me. He didn't like it, it wasn't comfortable but verse 9 he said to me God said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power God's power is made perfect in weakness and Paul's response is remarkable he says therefore I will most gladly boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for Christ's sake he says I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We've got to abandon any idea of self-sufficiency. Now you may say to me, but I'm having trouble in my life right now and it's not my fault and I'm having trouble right now in my life, moving past my pain. So could it be that if I make a deal with God, he'll take that pain away? How about I say, I'm going to do justly and and love mercy and walk humbly with my God as long as God will work this out. And we make these, these foolish deals with God. You know, if you'll, it's like Burt Reynolds in the, in the movie The End. He, he swims out. He wants to kill himself. He swims out in the ocean, and he realizes he doesn't want to die. So he says, God, if you save me, I'll give you everything I own. And he gets halfway to shore, and he's like, 50%, God? He gets to shore, and he's like, I'll put something in the plate. We make these deals with God. If you will just work it out, I will do everything you tell me to do. And and we do it ahead of time. We say, I'm going to do everything God wants me to do so that he will work it out. He is now in my debt. God is no man's debtor. We've got to take every ounce of self-sufficiency and throw it in the trash. What did Paul say? Anything that was gained to me, I consider rubbish for the sake of Christ. So the answer to that idea is, well, you know what? If I just do this, God will do that. I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes, actually. Sure, why not? Yes, if you are trusting him alone. If all sufficiency is gone and you are surrendered, because I think that's the idea behind this abandoning the the ship of self-sufficiency, is you surrender to God. You surrender to God and you say, your will be done with no conditions he will work all things together for good to those who love him because the person who's making deals is loving themselves more than God think about it we've got to resist the temptation to take control to grab the wheel to take the reins uh, to steer the ship what did Paul say? I I love this this is comfort for preachers 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this is comfort for preachers And it says this, uh, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was serious. Paul knew what was at stake. But consider this with me for a moment. So you, you abandon all self-sufficiency. And you say, okay, God, get to work. Let's trust in your power. Consider this with me. God, this very moment, is not exerting every ounce of power that he has. Because God, at this moment... Is showing restraint with his power. If his power was unleashed without restraint, we'd blow up or disintegrate because he is holding all things together by the word of his power. Humans, we go in with guns blazing, don't we? We do not have the restraint or the forbearance of God. God's timing and use of power is perfect. So we let go of all self-sufficiency and then say whatever you want, God. Humans, we abuse power, right? People make um, bombs and then they say, this happens right now, right? We've got places in the world where bombs are made and they have a shelf life and they're like, hmm, should I use it or not? God does everything perfect. God uses, can use anyone, anytime, anywhere to do what he wants. He used a donkey, he made an axe head float, he stopped the sun, he rose people from the dead, he transforms lives. Think of your life and what God has done in your life since you came to faith in Christ, if you you have come to faith in Christ. I met someone this week and I was emailing with them and, and I said, you know what, in 1982 I came to know Jesus and my life has never been the same. He changed my life. You say, well, it's not so hot. Say, well, you should have seen me before Jesus got me. The essence of trust is surrendering everything to God. But there's more. You can't just surrender in a vacuum. You've got to be, you've got if you let something go, you've got to have a direction. And so the second idea is that you can curb this tendency to create chaos by your sin by letting God who is invisible, you can't see him, letting God who is invisible and others who are visible carry you. You're like, I'm good with the God part, not with the others part. You need to be good with both. You need to let God and others help you. It's like the guy who let his friends put him through the roof to Jesus you didn't see that guy squirming around you didn't see that guy telling everyone what to do he, 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 he humbly depended on his friends and the Lord if the essence of trust is surrender then the fruit of surrender is humble dependence so it's humble dependence on God and also humbling yourself before other people that are indwelt by the spirit of God let's think about the idea of, of trusting an invisible God the God of all power that you can't see right now, but you see evidence of his power. The power that he has to subject all things to himself. Think about it. Jesus is the mighty God who brings order out of chaos. And that, the chaos comes because sin is evident. And he is ready and willing and able to save and forgive and transform. He is the all-powerful leader that we need to follow and to trust. Paul said this to the Ephesians. Ephesians 6:10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might. Put on the full armor of God. He says in Romans 8:37, in all these things, a the whole list of things that came upon them, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have so much power, and you need to walk in that authority. You need to to remember His name is greater than any name. The name of Jesus is greater than any name. Sickness, pain, bondage, discouragement, doubt, lack of hope, fear. You fill in the blank. Jesus' name is greater. You need to trust the invisible God and let Him carry you. But you've also got to trust visible people And let them help you People indwelt by the spirit of God Have power God comforts But I know that people intimidate Some people say I'm too intimidated by people I can't trust people They've hurt me too many times That's pride You've got to praise God for something That he is in the process Think about it Think about all the Christians you know That you don't feel good about we all have this list of Christians we know that we don't like they hurt us but they're a believer in Jesus so we find ways to question their salvation right hmm I doubt that I just don't know I don't see the fruit or whatever and they're professing faith in Christ and who knows maybe they're not but think about the people that you don't like that are Christians that that do love Jesus did you know that God is in process with them to conform them to the image of Christ. Wow, it's great thinking about ourselves being conformed to the image of Christ because we can see it happening. But not in them. We look at other people and go, there's no way in the world. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. Me, sure, I'm a great candidate. But them, no. Visible people indwelt by God's Spirit have power. And God is in the process of transforming hard hearts into tender hearts. I saw that happen this week. I saw someone with a hard heart Get a tender heart Right before my very eyes And then I heard Of the results As they interacted with someone else Praise God That is what God is doing No power on earth Can accomplish that But the powerful spirit of God God is all powerful Jesus is the mighty God His truth is all powerful God's people are empowered So God's power is Permeating his people And It works But hey it's Christmas so let's talk about Mary and Joseph alright Mary and Joseph So here they get a word from God Mary gets this amazing word from God It's fearful She's hearing this You're going to have a baby but you're not married yet You're going to have a baby and everyone's going to think That you stepped outside of God's bounds And got pregnant outside of marriage And Joseph's hearing these words He's thinking, I'm out of town I'm, I'm not doing this And God has to have a word with him And God says, no, this, this is the way it's going to be and, and Mary hears this word You're going to receive power to, the, the, whole, the, the, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you The power from on high is going to do this It's miraculous the virgin birth, the incarnation, bedrock of our faith. And Mary and Joseph are receiving these words from God. We stand here today and we're like, amen, that's awesome. But think about back then, who was comforting them? Who was there to comfort them? Everyone was thinking, you did something not good. You stepped outside of God's bounds. So they were being falsely accused, falsely, wrongly judged, and probably not comforted by very many people so who would be the comforter God himself he's assuring them of his presence and Mary and Joseph comforting one another he took her for his wife and Elizabeth and Zechariah maybe they just had that small group of four we don't know But there weren't very many people that were on their side. But they had to trust in God and other people indwelt by the Spirit of God. It's interesting, that whole idea of when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's really easy to look at that and and just pick something in your life that's going to be really difficult for you and go, hey, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And you apply it and, and it works. But how about the situation that comes into your life that you wouldn't pick and that you don't want. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we learn, the longer you're in Christ, you, the, you really learn what it means when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not an automatic strength. It's not this strength that just comes in. You can be weak and be weak. There's nothing inevitable here. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He was part of the process. He wasn't, as, as Andre Sue Peterson says he wasn't lobotomized and and simply went along for the ride he was engaged so she cautions I love this she says caution the kind of weak Paul meant is not moral weakness or sin it is some external circumstance or persecution or illness or oppression or temptation or other wrench thrown into the works by Satan to harass us but what Satan means for evil God means for our good And for an opportunity to prove our faith authentic. That's why we can rejoice in weakness. See, you can never say, hey, when I'm weak, I'm strong. That means I can harbor some sin in my life and God will just somehow use it to make me stronger. That's a lie. What you say is, in my present weakened state, Lord, my heart is breaking. And I don't feel like I can bear it but when I am weak I have to fight harder to fight the good fight of faith now you may say but I'm too tired of being a burden on people I want to get back to the place in my life where I can comfort others I feel like I've just for years been the one being comforted I know a lot of people like that and what I would say is this can you see that it's a season you're going through Can you see that it is a purposeful season? Can you see that you are not a burden? But that there are other Christians bearing your burden? As Paul said in Galatians, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. He says each one shall bear his own load. But when you get overloaded, others are to bear your burden. It's a duty and a privilege in Christ's church. It's not something we to shrink back from. But we are to be there for each other. We are family in Christ. Brothers and sisters. And the pain of others should, should lead us to pray boldly as never before. And trust God. Now, if we end this sermon here, something will be wrong. If you say, you know, I, I, need, I need to do those first two things and everything will work out in my life, you'll be selling it short. You will not be fully engaged in what God wants you to be fully engaged in. Experiencing the power of God starts with the first two things I mentioned. That you need to abandon the ship of self-sufficiency. You need to surrender. And then you need to trust the invisible God and visible people to help you. But if you stopped there, something would be missing. You can't do that. You can't expect everything to go on autopilot from that point on. Because here's the deal. We must act think about it really the first two you can do as a mental exercise and as a, a, a small group small group interaction the problem with that is you got to do something you can't just say you know I'm going to let go and let God isn't that a, isn't that a thing that Christians say let go and let God And what we mean by that is, just don't do anything that's wrong. I like the way Kevin DeYoung put it in in the title of his book. Just do something. Just do something good. Just do something righteous. Just do something that would bless others. Do something that would honor God. See, the idea is, we can curb our tendency to create chaos by working really hard at doing what is good. In God's strength. Working as hard as you can in God's strength to do what is right. I realize that throws some people off balance. I realize that's a hard concept to grab hold of. It's not just let go and let God. It's What does that really mean? It's an attitude of the heart and resulting action. Strive in God's strength to keep doing good. Think about it. God will not bless unrighteousness in your life. God will not bless hidden sin in your life. God will not bless dishonesty in your life. God will not bless trickery in your life. God will not bless disobedience in your life. He blesses the one who trusts in him. It's not a recipe for blessing. It's just the way it is. God clothes with power those he calls to himself. We are indwelt with his power. It's what he does for his glory and others' good. He promised Mary that she would experience his power. He promises Jesus, promises disciples that they would be uh, receiving power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it wasn't just for them to enjoy and to sing praises to God, but it was for them to be witnesses of his, with the gospel, from where they started to the ends of the earth some of them would be dying in a couple weeks after they heard those words some of them would be preaching in a couple weeks after they heard those words Paul often spoke of God's power in believers prayed for the Ephesians that they would be indwelt with power and then there's Samson Samson you know Samson the strong guy right and all of you are thinking well Samson he messed up sure he did a sinful man but Samson is in the hall of faith go to Hebrews 11 this gives you hope this gives me hope Samson the the dude who messed up so badly is in Hebrews 11 verse 32 what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon Barak Samson What'd they do? Well, they, through faith, conquered kingdoms. They didn't stay in their their closet and, and just pray to God. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Those are strong, by the way. Lions, real ones. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Swords that were made out of steel. They can cut you. And what did Samson do? It talks about him right here. They were made strong out of weakness. Samson's situation, he got himself all weak. He was strong. Gave away his secret. He became very weak. They gouged out his eyes. But he honored God in his death by doing what honored God. He did something. Experience the power of God. Two more places you need to look, and then we'll be done. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 13 and 14. So, Paul is going to say this. Therefore, Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Don't work for it. That's a gift of grace. But work it out. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure therefore do all things verse 14 without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you appear as lights in the world so Paul is saying after chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 where Jesus is lifted high and the name above all names and that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father then he says you work out your salvation and God is at work in you. You work it out as God works in. And then Colossians 1.29. Colossians 1.29. He, right after he talks about Jesus in verses 15 through 20 about Jesus is, is God and, and, and through him and for him are all things and, and in him all things hold together and he made peace through the blood of his cross. Then he says verse 24 I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God the mystery verse 26 hidden for ages now revealed to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles the riches of the glory of this mystery which is what Christ in you the hope of glory Verse twenty-eight: Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then, verse twenty-nine: Look at verse twenty-nine. Paul says, "For this I toil." Remember, Paul. He said, "I am willing to be spent and, and spe- uh, spend and be spent for the souls of others." That he had sleepless nights. That he almo- he was always in danger. That he almost was killed many times. He says, "For this I toil." struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me there it is struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me I think the people who trust God the most work the hardest I think the people who trust God the most are most engaged in God's work you trust in God's power you you work with all your might that's what Paul did I love how Hudson Taylor put it. I used to ask God to help me, he said. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up by asking him to do his work through me. I encourage you not to shrink back to powerless defeat. But go to Jesus, the all-powerful one. And move forward in triumphant resurrection power. Knowing. The powerful one is at work within you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you bring order out of chaos. Lord, we, we know we wear out. We, our power fails, but your power never fails. You, you do everything by your amazing power. You're in need of help from no one. And we thank you that your power is at work right now, accomplishing what you desire. Lord, we want to be God-empowered people doing God-inspired things.